All right, we're going. Here we go. Sal's going to, Sal, you're, block, you're blocking this big moment. You're trying to say hi to people. You know, it's like when you go to the big game and you, you hold up signs like John 3.16. Yeah, it didn't say hi, Sal. By the way, how good are those bars? Um, I just said they're deadly. Deadly. Yeah, and I know they're not gluten-free, but I'm doing it anyway. You don't care. You're just like, it's worth it. It's worth it. All right, let's um, open with a word of prayer, and then we'll, we're going to finish off the Sermon on the Mount tonight, just in time for Thanksgiving. So, uh, Lord God, we come to you tonight, and uh, we thank you for this warm spot that we get to be in tonight and get out of the elements and get out of the cold and to be together and to gather and to open your word and to, to seek your wisdom and your, your spirit to instruct us and to guide us and to draw us closer to you as we um, seek to live out what it means to be followers of yours. And so help us see that. Help us spur one another on in this uh, adventure called life in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, like I said, we're going to finish chapter 7. Uh, well, technically we're not going to finish 7 tonight uh, because we are going to finish 7, 728. You know, really the chapter verses, all that, those are just for us. So we're going to go finish the Sermon on the Mount tonight, and then um, after we come back next week, so next week, Tuesday night's the big Thanksgiving service. Uh, love to have all of you come and join us for that. There's uh, singing, there's sharing of Thanksgivings that are uh, pre-recorded. So we already did that. Uh, so there won't be any awkward silence. Uh, and then we break pie together. So uh, join us, join us for that next Thursday, Tuesday night before Thanksgiving. Uh, so there'll be no, no Wednesday night next week. Um, all right. Also, for those of you who like to know kind of what's going on uh, as we've been trying new things uh, throughout the year, uh, we're not going to break into our discussion groups tonight. Uh, so we'll just break into our little uh, self-selected discussion groups uh, as we go uh, walk with the questions. So, all right. So here we are. Jesus says... Uh, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, uh, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is uh, the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother or sister's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son or daughter asks him for bread, will give them a stone? Or if they ask for a fish, we'll give them a serpent. If you then, who are evil, 
how know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against it, against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it." So one of the interesting things that you might be uh, noticing is at times we can uh, find the disjointedness within the Sermon on the Mount as we move on. And so there, there becomes this idea that the Sermon on the Mount isn't one continuous sermon. It's more of a collection of sayings that Jesus had said throughout his life, and they get, Matthew decides to lump them all together. However, when we look at it holistically, we can see how this is a well-crafted uh, piece that Jesus has put together. I, I often wonder um, why he chose to put things where he did, and if he would have put them sooner, uh, would it have changed how we listened to or heard the rest of it? Or would it have actually made some people uh, leave? And so he chose, we'll, we'll just kind of work into this and how he grouped it together. Because I think... Uh, if we would have put the judgment segment earlier, it might have helped us um, with addressing some of the other uh, conversations. The, the challenge with this is, um, well, the word judge is so uh, culturally bound within our English language and within our own understanding of what it means to judge. And one of my dearest friends, uh, he's a therapist, and so he and I talk regularly about a variety of things. Uh, in fact, he was counseling me today on the Taylor Swift ticket purchase, how I was feeling about it. And uh, so that was good. Uh, but one of the things that he learned from his therapist, which is a phenomenal statement that I use on a regular basis, is whenever we're having conversations, he says to me, no judgment. And at first I thought, does it matter? Does it matter if he's judging me? 
Except when he says that, immediately it brings this openness, this, I'm not listening to judge you, I'm listening to hear you and to engage with you. And so I've used it on a regular basis in conversations with people, and it is fascinating to see the relief that comes when, when somebody tells you, I'm not judging what you're about to say. The challenge, though, becomes we do judge because there, there is a level of discernment that needs to take place. And as we talked about when we talked about uh, the temptations of Jesus, if we looked at it as testing of Jesus, what if we said the word evaluate? Would that make us, in essence, lean into this versus be repelled by it? Or when we look at the, the totality, we often stop at, at the first sentence and we don't go into the second sentence. Because really what Jesus is saying is, use the same measuring stick that you desire yourself to be measured by. But how often is it the case that we use a different measuring stick when measuring other people's behaviors that we don't then use on ourselves? And so Jesus is encouraging the, those who are going to be his followers to be more gracious and less hasty in their evaluating of their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is not a polemic against judgment, although you would say, it says right there, don't judge. Well, what is he trying to communicate? He's trying to communicate, again, what I have contended from the very beginning, is the Sermon on the Mount is not a list of do's and don'ts. It's an instruction book or a a sermon that is about how are we, as followers of Jesus Christ, to relate to one another and to relate to God as we do this thing called life in Christ. Because remember, These people are just getting started. Jesus is just getting started in his ministry. And so as they're going to be going through the next few years, this is how they are to live together. And so when we see this conversation around, uh, do not evaluate other people's behavior by a different standard than you're evaluating your own behavior, Jesus is telling us that the friction that results through judging each other from different standards is not helpful. It is not helpful within the life and the community of those who identify as followers of Jesus Christ. And so it's not, again, that, that we are to completely withhold any discernment in our lives with each other. Think of it this way. Uh, you're headed down the road, okay, and, and you encounter a bridge that has just been taken out by maybe a flood. And so you decide, I guess I have to turn around. So you turn around and go the other direction, knowing that if you were to continue in the trajectory that you're going, your life would be ended and you would be in the river. And so you turn around and go back the other way. As you're going the other way, you encounter other vehicles. Do we say, ah, don't want to judge where they're going? 
I guess, uh, yep, no judgment here. You just keep heading on that direction and I sure hope you figure out that the bridge is out. Or is it the case that when we encounter something in our lives that leads to death and destruction in our path, we repent, we turn from it, and then when we see people that are trending in that direction, we stop them and we say, I just want to let you know, this road that, that I just was on is heading towards death and destruction, and I wouldn't advise heading that way. That's not judgment. That's called looking out for one another. But notice the path. We've been down there. We see where that is, and we let other people know the trajectory of your life is headed towards destruction. And so Jesus, again, is not saying don't help people who are headed towards a place that they shouldn't be headed. It's, again, this evaluation of other people's life choices based on a measuring stick that we don't use for ourselves. Because, again, when he talks about this idea of removing the plank from your own eye so that you can then help uh, remove the speck from your uh, sibling's eye, so obvious to us, right? I mean, it's like the most obvious metaphor there, there ever has been. And if you've ever gotten something in your eye, you know it is the absolute worst. Like, I can't have contacts because I can't, I just... I can't even begin to start to touch my eyes. It's like the worst thing in the world. And notice how Jesus is tying in. Remember last week we kind of glossed over it because of time. He was tying in the importance in verse 22 of chapter 6 about the eye. And so he takes the eye and the importance of the eye, and then he turns around and he uses a metaphor for how we are to live our lives and the importance of how our vision functions as followers of Jesus Christ. Pretty interesting. But again, if we choose to chop up the Sermon on the Mount or any scripture, we miss out on what's trying to be communicated. Jesus doesn't just randomly, willy-nilly throw these examples together. He is trying to tie them all together. Notice also that he refers to this individual as a hypocrite, which is something we're going to get into uh, as we go later in the text. And in verse 6, again, he uses this imagery of dogs. And then in a while, like probably, I don't remember exactly where it occurs off the top of my head, we're going to hear another reference to dogs and how the dogs are to be fed or the dogs are fed from their master's table. And so in this case, he's tying together similar imageries or images. But what is that exactly is he saying? He's saying, use judgment, use discernment when you are engaging with individuals. Do you ever find yourself in a conversation with somebody and you're like, nothing that I am about to say is going to be heard or have any value? And so why am I even continuing to talk? No? 
You ever felt that way? That's in essence what Jesus is saying here. As you go, again, we, we so miss how the Sermon on the Mount functions within the life of Jesus and his disciples. As you go about this thing called ministry and you encounter individuals who don't seem to be receptive, then move on. Which gets really hard for us. How is it that we are to, in essence, give up on somebody? Well, it's the same thing when Jesus says, if you come to a town and you find it unworthy, or a household and you find it unworthy, which we're going to get to in the future, then you dust off your sandals and you move on. So these themes are not completely disjointed. They are themes that he is going to come back and retrace as we go forward. So what I want us to do is... uh, group up. For those of you who haven't been here, we're going to group up in groups of five to seven individuals. I'm going to give you about eight minutes, and we are going to discuss this first little section. And the questions are going to be are on the page. They're also going to be on the screen. Uh, and so if you're looking for a group, wow, okay, Kate's excited. So feel free to group up now. I'll give you about uh, eight or nine minutes, and then we'll come back together. So these are the questions on the, on the screen, also on your, um, on your sheets.
Okay. Let's uh, come back together. You can certainly just turn around in your chairs where you're at and... Any uh, questions that arose within your little uh, groups? I just want to give, give space for that. I mean, no, no judgment on your questions, remember? <laughs> we all took an oath that there would be no judgment on what was said in our discussions on Wednesday nights. So I have to say that uh, Adam Grant, who's a... He's a psychologist, um, and he teaches at Penn. He, he said something the other week, and it was basically, you know, we've come to buy into this stay-in-your-own-lane-watch-your-own-bobber mentality. And it's not actually helpful. <laughs> because, again, if I... If you and I are, are headed in the same direction and you encounter an obstruction in the lane that is going to then obstruct me, and you're like, well, sorry, I'm just going to stay over here in my lane. Come on. So watching your own bobber might be a popular culture saying. Um, I just want to caution us on that. So then we get into some, um, some more interesting things that Jesus has to say. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, again, as we, as we pluck these things out and we miss out on, on what, what Jesus is trying to do. Because remember, last week we were talking about the Lord's Prayer and the scaffolding that is the Lord's Prayer. And now Jesus brings prayer back up in a different way here in verse 7. And... And if the Lord's Prayer is, um, you know, the paint by number that we talked about, like the here's the outline and we get to fill in the colors of the picture, this type of prayer is a blank sheet of paper. And it, it comes with some interesting challenges. Because he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Except when it's not. <laughs> because so often, again, and, and we're jumping ahead slightly to the to Jesus what is described as the golden rule. We so often say things to people that if someone said those things to us would just would be the most ridiculous thing in the world. And so when we come to a passage like this on prayer and we can easily twist it and pervert it to be something that it's not. 
And at the same time, we can twist it and pervert it to diminish what it truly is. So one way we can do it, right, is we can say, this is God's blank check. Jesus says right here, whatever you want, just ask me for it and I'll give it to you. The other side of that is, well, you should never ask anything specifically from God because that's being selfish. To which both can come to this section and say, what is Jesus trying to communicate? Again, as we launch forward into this ministry that Jesus is going on, he's trying to get our minds around the fact that God is a good God who is our Father, who's in heaven, who wants to provide everything that we need and the things that we desire. When we start to say, well, God hasn't answered your prayer because you haven't asked in the right way, we are again distorting this and just damaging people. And when we ask and we don't receive in a particular way, sometimes we have this challenge where we say, is God lying? Is Jesus lying about this? Does he not really mean that if we ask, he will give it to us? Well, again, we have to locate all of this in what he is trying to communicate. That that this thing called faith in Christ is not this sedentary thing. It's this active and vibrant thing. And so this is an active and vibrant prayer life. This is seeking after and moving forward towards God. What we do in this life has eternal ramifications, as we're going to get to. If you're not bearing good fruit, that's a problem, according to Jesus. So again, what do we do when, when we see this at face value, yet in our lives we experience something completely different? A friend of mine, uh, you know, his dad is, is terminally sick. And, and so we've been, we've been praying and praying and praying and praying for him. And it's not working. And then you go to this and you're like, why not? Why is this not happening? And what do we do? We often turn inward and we say it's some deficiency in us. Or we turn outward and we say it's some deficiency in God. Or is it the case that, that there are certain things that, that we don't know and we'll never know? But that doesn't mean we stop pursuing, asking and seeking and knocking, knowing that God is faithful and he desires to meet us and provide for us and to give us these things. Because what Jesus says after the fact is not, 
God is going to give you extravagant things. God is going to give us basic things. And so he uses this example, and, and whether or not it harkens back to, you know, Satan and the testing and the turning the stones into bread, you know, whether or not it's this allusion to the actual serpent, you know, going all the way back to the garden, or is it, you know, this idea of a serpent-like fish. The point is that God is a good God who wants to give those who are his children good things. And he says, look, look at you all. And he, he, he says, you who are evil. <laughs> not, not sure that's a really great strategy. I, hopefully I will never refer to you all as evil, except that's what Jesus just said. <laughs> so, God, Jesus is trying to get us to, to reorient how we see the world. That, that when... When we see God, especially for them in their context and, and being surrounded by God's, and then us in our context having this distorted idea of who God is and how God functions, and reorienting to say that God is a good God because look at how you take care of your own children. God is even better than that. And so... We can't separate what Jesus says about prayer here from what Jesus just said about prayer in the Lord's Prayer. So rather than seeing them in opposition to one another, how can we see them as uh, two sides of the same coin or filling out the picture even more when it comes to our life in prayer? So the next question is about that. And it's right here. What are we asking for in our prayer life? And so on and so forth. All right?
Okay. Uh, let's come back together. Sorry, apparently I didn't. I didn't do a good enough break uh, on the last segment. Any questions from uh, your discussion? Nope. Okay. All right. So one thing I want us to, again. I want us to remember that you know so much of this is Jesus is as we talked about as Amy preached about on Sunday. The imminence of God is seen in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is trying to communicate to us who God is, that God is an imminent God that, that cares and desires about the things that we care about and desire. And you know, if we think about this idea of faith like a child, and then we think about how kids function around their parents, why is it that when we encounter something like prayer about asking God for things, that then we're like, Oh no, that's we can't do that. But kids ask for their parents for the most ridiculous things. I mean, especially now with Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> I constantly am looking at things and I'm like, uh, what? Wrong, wrong parent. You must think you have different parents. No, I'm not buying this $48,000 truck. Are you kidding me? You'd think by now the number of no's would result in no more requests, especially the ridiculous ones, which is most of them. Oh, but he, they just keep asking, and that's the beauty of it, because maybe, maybe there's a chance. Yeah, just like that woodpecker just... Eventually, I'm going to get to something in here. Doesn't realize that it's metal siding. <laughs> ah, yeah, maybe pray about that because <laughs> see what God has to say. So then we get into, you know, again, out of that, we flow into these, this really thick, thick section of what. Uh, this Bible has divided into three sections. But in reality, it goes, again, with where we started in uh, the beginning of seven. And I want us to, to see something very important. Matthew says that Jesus' call is, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So this, this sums up all that we have in the first part of our scripture. However, notice that it is an action-based call. It's not an abstinence-based call. So the Many, many cultures and religions have the same idea, but typically it's an abstinence-based uh, call. So, said, don't do things to others that you wouldn't want them to do to you. 
That would be the negative way of saying it. Except the challenge with that is that leads to passivity. So if I don't want you to do something to me, then I just won't do that to you. And so then I'm off the hook. Except that is not what Jesus is calling us to. He says, whatever you desire to have happen to you, then you should go and do that. And I love uh, how Bruner translates this. He says, so then all the ways you wish people would treat you, there, those are the ways you should treat people. You see, that is what the law and the prophets are about. So whatever we desire for people to do to us, we should first do that to other people. So, I mean, think about it in the totality of, of our experience together. Again, when we talk about this, this idea, as Amy talked about on Sunday, of fellowship, of the sharing together of life, the communal aspects of life together, as Bonhoeffer entitled his book, Life Together. So it's not a waiting game in which I am waiting for somebody to do something good for me or positive for me. It's actually the opposite. It's like we talked about last year in Ephesians. It's not I'll submit when you submit. It's who can submit first. So who can do the good thing to the other person first? That is the ethic that Jesus calls us to. Not trying to avoid doing bad things to people. It's how many good things can I do for people in my life today? Notice the shift in that? But the world tells us, and, and this is actually a psychological reality. If somebody does something for you, and, I, and I, ever since I read about this, it is absolutely fascinating. We have a psychological problem in which if somebody does something for us, we have to do something for them. It's so psychologically ingrained in us that, that it drives us wild. When somebody does something for us and we can't return the favor, point in case, we're in Detroit and... Um, <laughs> They, there's this old dead tree outside the wall of Detroit Love. And I'm like, why is that dead tree just still there? And, um, well, the conversation was, basically, we don't trust any groups to use power tools to cut down that tree in an appropriate manner so that it doesn't fall on the fence, fall on the church, or fall on something that we don't want it to fall onto. And I was like... Well, what are we waiting for? <laughs> well, you want to do that? And of course, I created some marital strife, which I didn't mean to. And I was like, what are we waiting for? Let's, who needs free time? Let's go cut that tree down. Woo! <laughs> well, what do we got? And they didn't have really great things, but I'm like, by golly, we can get this tree down. So anyways, battery-powered sawzall, tree falls over, Joy and celebration. And uh, Lori, Dean, is Kevin's wife, 
it was her desire to have this tree cut down. She's a Minnesota gal. She's from uh, Rochester, and she used to live up here, and maybe some of you know her. And um, she was so excited to burn this thing. Uh, and she's like, okay, Eric, what? I'll have Josie go and get you your favorite Starbucks. What do you want from Starbucks? And I knew the reality of this, and I was like, nah, really? I'm good. Like, I'm good. So she let it go. Next day, Eric, what? I'm going to go to the store. What do you need? I, you know, you cut that tree down. So what? I'm like, Lori, I'm good. The last night, it's just burning her up. She's like, I have to do something for you because you did something for me. What kind of Gatorade can I get you from upstairs? And I was like, finally, I'm just going to let her off the hook. I didn't even want the Gatorade. I was like, just whatever. Orange good? Yeah, orange is great. And then she's just like, relief. You ever been there? Somebody does something for you and you're like, I have to do something for them. Why didn't we do it for them first? And, and look at the reciprocal nature that exists within that. I mean, uh, I just, th I think about this, uh, you know, on a Wednesday night and a Sunday morning and the desire that we have to be known by other people and be seen by other people. And we're like, well, nobody ever comes and says hi to me. That's probably true. The question is, how many people have we said hi to this morning? Well, it's because no one is approaching me. Yeah, I, I understand. I'm fully aware. That's not the golden rule. We're to go and be the active ones, the, the ones that are pursuing good. We're supposed to be the ones that are out advocating for other people and, and doing things for Jesus. Not waiting for good things to be done for us or not trying to avoid doing bad things to other people. Yes, that is part of it. Yes. There's a difference between motivation and obligation? Grateful versus obligation. Yes. And how can you tell the difference? Because I mean, the next time you invite someone to your home, I can almost guarantee it. What are they going to say when they're leaving? That's right! We'll have you over next! So, so what do we do? We invite them first! Because that's what we're supposed to do! And it's not maniacal, and you're like, but it sounds maniacal. Okay. Just, it's the golden rule. Jesus doesn't say, do an equivalent number of good things and allow the person to do an equivalent number of good things back to you so that the balance sheet is even. He says, if you want things to be done for you, then just go do them for other people. And if we're doing that, 
We're not judging. See how those things are connected? And then what does he do? He ties it in to not good things. He's like, if you're not going to do the golden rule, let me give you this imagery. And it starts with a narrow gate. Meaning what? That is hard. It's hard to do these things. It's hard to constantly be the one who's calling the other person. It's hard to be the one that constantly invites or does the things or does the chores or does the whatever. How many times we say it in friendships or in marriage relationships or whatever, like, I'm done doing these nice things and I'll finally start doing good things when they start doing things for me. Wrong answer. Not Christian not of Christ. Well, I didn't write this. I didn't make up the golden rule. But again, what does Jesus say? The people that are going to walk down this way are few. And then he gives us another warning about false prophets. And we'll talk about that in a second. So discuss the next question about the golden rule.
Okay. Let's uh, come back together. Any response, questions? Responding questions? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, are they in competition with one another? What I want to do versus what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Or what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. Um, well, certainly there is a wide variety of uh, perspectives on that. Um, I... I have a strong belief that as we are, if we, if we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then there is synergy that exists more often than we probably realize between our desires and God's desires. So is it the case that God has given me desires for the benefit and flourishing of other people. So I think we can have a bit of Christian paralysis around doing good with the excuse of, well, I'm not sure if this is what God wants me to do. Um, the person that's homeless, hungry, walking on the side of the road, uh, has a flat tire. Pretty sure God wants us to take care of those people. Person in prison, let me think about this. Um, as we're going to get there in 25, if we don't provide food and drink and shelter and care for those people, we're going to end up in a place that we don't really want to be. <laughs> Um, so God, Jesus doesn't say, so whatever you think the Holy Spirit wants you to do, do that. He says, the desires that you have for people to behave towards you, then you should then do that for other people. It's, again, it's this reciprocal nature that exists within the body. We, our human tendency is, again, to wait or to make an excuse. Um, you know, you, you see somebody who, who may need something, and you're like, well, they're probably, the guy walking on 371, he's probably just getting some exercise. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> um. So, do we have desires that conflict with what God wants? Absolutely. 
Um, typically, when it's doing something for someone else, I think we have less concern about that. So, good question, though. So, yeah, the spiritual discipline, you know, we've been doing this all, all year, throw something out there each week. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't have to be complex. You know, for example, three of us in our home don't have electric starters on their vehicles. How nice is it to get into a warm vehicle when you, you have fuel in your tank? It might be something basic, like, God, oh, it'd be nice if somebody, you know, whatever. doesn't have to be super complex. It might be letting that person go in front of you. Oh, yeah, go ahead. So, um, now let's get into some interesting, more interesting things. Jesus talks about uh, this idea of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but are inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Then he talks about this idea of fruit and how grapes cannot be gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the deceased, diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. And then he goes on. And, you know, we, we stop because it's like, well... They, they're making us stop. They're not making us stop. We're choosing to stop because they throw the speed bump in there. And then he goes on to talk about the fact that not everyone who does things that they think are what they're supposed to do is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so we get into this conversation about what, what are the fruits, but we miss out on the importance of the false prophet warning. And so how... How often do we encounter teachings that claim to be of Christ? Or someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And, and so they, they should be a leader, or they, they're qualified to be a leader, because they're a follower of Jesus Christ. Or at least that's what they said. Except they're not. Jesus says people are going to show up pretending that there's something that they're not. And the easiest way is to look at the fruit. You know, if you go up to Copper Creek Garden Center and, and you're like, I'm looking for an apple tree. And Gabby, she would never do this. This is hypothetically speaking. She's like, here, here's an apple tree. You're like, that looks like a blue spruce. No, it's an apple tree. Where's the fruit? Well, it's wintertime. Okay. And then in the fall, you're like, what a liar. My apple tree. What's wrong with it? People's lives matter. What we say doesn't matter as much as what we do. 
And remember what John said back in 320. You remember? John says, the axe is at the root of the tree. And then Jesus takes what John said in 320, and he says, remember this tree metaphor? Here it is again. Because a bad tree doesn't get to hang around. And now, we misappropriate the analogy, and we say, because fire, hell is going to be about fire. Well, it's an analogy of burning up trees. It's not an analogy of burning up human beings, and it's not a description of what hell is going to be like. The important part is the fruit that we bear matters. And I know we can get into this, well, so what you're saying is that is I'm earning my place, my, I'm earning my salvation, or all of these things. No, because... Again, this is for those, Jesus is saying, all right, we're starting this thing called my ministry. If you want to follow me, here's some things that you want to know. These are going to be the experiences that you're going to have, and these are the standards to which I'm calling you to. If you're not interested, that's fine. If you are interested, this is the expectation for you. And one of them is to bear good fruit. Now the interesting thing, preview, when we jump way ahead and Jesus is, is near Jerusalem and he comes to a tree, notice that that's going to happen. So it starts in three, Jesus brings it up again, and then it comes back. You're like, we don't care. Yes. Can a healthy tree become diseased? Wow. I mean, that is the question, right? That is the question. And Jesus says, don't judge other people. <laughs> you thought, you're like, oh, I saw you taking that scapegoat route or escape route. Escape route. <laughs> that, that, is the, that is a phenomenal question that, that I don't think we have. I don't know if we have the answer to in in ways that that I want to create great certainty because when we when we do that what do we do then we immediately start like well let's we become arborists we become owens 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 my resident arborist and we start inspecting all these trees like I don't know. I don't know. Not our job. Our job isn't to uh, discern the quality of the fruit or how, whether or not 
the potentiality for disease is there, what we're to do is discern who are the people that we're listening to and how, is, how are our lives bearing fruit. Because then, when Paul says the fruit of the Spirit, and we're all supposed to be fruit trees, you know, again, that's, are we bearing out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? And if we're not, the question becomes, why not? Did you have a question or just, you have? Yes. Uh, did, did Jesus coming to earth end the need for prophets? No. Well, what, so the idea... Yeah, there's lots of prophets that have existed, not in the sense that you are defining prophet as in a foreteller of the future... But there's many prophets that are foretellers that are looking back and saying this is a reality. For example, when we get to the sign of Jonah in Matthew chapter 12, Jonah becomes this prophet that goes to the Ninevites to declare the goodness of God to these people that are oppressing him. And so Jesus is functioning as this prophet. And so then when we talk about how does prophecy work today, in that sense, we will discuss that fuller. In a more. Yes, because prophecy is much larger than, than most of us think. It's not a let me tell you what's going to happen in the future kind of prophet. It's not let's all go north of the border to a prophecy conference. It's not that. It's a different type of prophecy or it's not even a prophecy, it's a prophetic voice. And to think, you are going to leave. <laughs> it was, I almost made a prophetic utterance of like saying, you could stay. You just should just stay if you want to. Um, yeah, that's a, great, that's a great thing that we're going to talk about when we talk more uh, about the sign of Jonah and how we understand prophecy um, and prophetic utterances. So, um, where were we at? Oh, yeah, those people who are uh, going to be not with Jesus. So, again, he introduces this idea in the Sermon on the Mount, and again, as we mentioned in Acts, or Acts <laughs> Matthew 25, Jesus talks into more detail about what this looks like. He is introducing now the people who think that 
that they are on the right path by the words that they say are not on the right path. On that day, meaning this uh, day of judgment, these people are going to say, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will, will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So notice, he doesn't say, I will cast you into hell. He says that you will not be near me because you cannot be near me. And also, this further emphasizes the point of the bearing of fruit. It's not just the words that are said, it's the bearing of fruit. And so the fruit becomes this super important part that when we read that separately, we don't get what is going on here. And Jesus is saying within all of this, he's been talking about throughout the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. Following Christ is about more than what we say. It's about who we are and how we live. And so this idea that, you know, I just have to testify and say the right thing, and then everything else doesn't matter, is completely false when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, this is what it's going to look like. And if you think you're just going to you know, say certain things, that's not how this is going to work. And it's just the sober reality that he wraps up by saying, if you're going to choose to build your house, in other words, follow me, no matter what comes for us, you will be safe and secure. So if all of our thoughts, actions are motivated out of allegiance to Christ, structuring our lives on him, then no matter what comes, we will be secure. Yes. Yes. Great question. How do you know you're bearing fruit? Yep. That is a beautiful question. How do I know if I'm bearing good fruit? Well, one way that you know, again, the, the, the connection about the importance of community and fellowship that exists within the body is so important. In order for an apple tree to produce fruit, first of all, it can't be planted from a seed. It has to be grafted from another apple tree. And then what does it need? It needs more apple trees. And how does an apple tree 
know if it's producing apples. Well, other people are like, that looks like an apple. <laughs> right? And so that's where I would say when we go back to this idea of, you know, oh, I don't want to judge you, except I do want you to judge me. Because how do we know? If our lives are, are not producing fruit, please let me know. Because the alternative is not good. And so being together allows us to say, hey, where have you seen fruit in my life? That is an invitation for somebody to make evaluative judgments about my life. To say, yeah, here, 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 and here. You're like, okay, good. Versus, you know, we, the other thing we think about, and when we think about this fruit tree imagery is, when one tree is diseased in an orchard, that's a problem for the orchard. And so, if a diseased tree in our orchard is going to affect me, then I want to make sure that that diseased tree is healed. You're like, well, just cut it down. <laughs> Pretty sure the golden rule doesn't say just cut it down. So how do we know we're bearing good fruit? We ask each other. We, we look around and we say, you know, what are the things that I'm doing that is producing fruit? Are there demonstrative things that I know that I'm doing that, are, that I would say are, are fruitful? If so, then, then that's, a good, that's a clear indication. But we know when we ask other people that other people become our evaluators to help us. Because there are certain branches that you need to prune off, right? We're just going to continue down this fruit tree imagery. And so... Show me where the fruit isn't so I can prune that off. Any other questions? That was a really good question. All right, so uh, we didn't get to this last question um, that's on here. Uh, but if you grabbed one of these papers, which you all should have had the opportunity to, um, certainly some time to reflect and think about uh, tonight as you go home or this week um, as, you're, as you're contemplating these various things. Um, so one thing that um, the Holy Spirit has laid on my heart around the golden rule is um, if you could put your chair back in the exact place from which you removed it, it would really benefit us for the funeral that we have tomorrow. And God will bring rewards to you in heaven. Isn't that, is that what, I think that's what the Holy Spirit said. So let's pray real quick and then, um, then we'll take off. Uh, Lord God, we just thank you uh, for tonight. We thank you for your word and we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace to us. Jesus, uh, we, we cannot thank you enough for the invitation to follow you, and we acknowledge, Holy Spirit, that 
that the standard at times is overwhelming. And so we just keep we just keep seeking you, pursuing you, and asking you to move in us, to prune off the bad branches that exist in our lives, and to help us to bear fruit for you as we seek to love others well and love others as you have called us to, not just to the people that we like, not just to the people that we love, but to all those that we come in contact with. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks for coming. No Wednesday nights next week because of Thanksgiving.